Welcome to season two of Ben the Podcast. We appreciate you being part of this conversation. I'm Deb. And I'm Lillian. And we have occasional contributions from Leo the Retriever. Yeah, see if you can spot him in our episodes this season. <laughs> Hopefully this season will challenge your beliefs, spark creativity, and disrupt what it means to be well. We're coming to you from the traditional and unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe. Enjoy today's episode and thanks for listening. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of Bend the Podcast. Uh, we're here today with Ellie Halliday. Ellie works for a community-based nonprofit Cornerstone Landing Youth Services, uh, providing assistance to youth age 16 to 24 who are experiencing homelessness in Lanark County. Um, she is also the chair of the National Alliance to End Rural and Remote Homelessness Community Practice. Um, and she is a strong advocate for youth in, in our communities here in Lanark County. Welcome, Ellie. Hi. How are you? Hi, thank you. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Ellie. We're really happy that you're here. Yeah, I'm very lots of experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you bet. And, and we were talking a little bit off mic and Lillian and I have been talking too, that it's, I think, important to present balanced views at times on the pod. And sometimes that's tough to do. And um, we're hoping that the conversation we have with you today can, can offer people some insight in terms of, you know, the barriers that lots of young people face today, right? Mm-hmm. And not just in terms of homelessness, but the, the, just the struggles um, yeah, so we're, we're looking forward to diving in with you. Great. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. Um, do you want to start maybe by just telling us a little bit about um, what you actually do in the community and your work with Cornerstone and with the National Alliance to End Rural and Remote Homelessness? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm a housing caseworker for uh, Cornerstone Landing and Youth Services. Um, so we do housing first for youth, so anyone within Lanark County, um, age 16 to 24, and we really just help provide that, um, you know, that continuum of care, so looking at prevention-based supports and long-term supports um, related to housing and homelessness, um, so that kind of looks like, you know, helping clients with information and referrals, uh, taking them to kind of other community resources, you know, food banks, mental health services, um, help taking them to apartment viewings, you know, arranging with landlords, creating those relationships with landlords and property managers um, within the county. And really, you know, our goal is to ha- not only to get youth housed, um, but to get them stably housed and so that they can maintain that housing. And then, you know, providing those kind of wraparound services. What else do they need? Whether that's um, mental health supports, you know, looking at their education, employment, um, you know, participating within the community and kind of social networking and all of those supports that, you know, really help make youth thrive. Yeah. And I think even right off the bat, people in our communities might be like youth homelessness in Lanark County. Like, what are you talking about? It exists and it's here. Um, can you speak a little bit to that and what that looks like and why it's sometimes invisible in quote in, invisible to people living in our communities? Yeah, I mean, I think it's different from the cities. Um, you know, just for the simple fact that we're, you know, it's a small town, everybody knows everybody. Um, and you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of stigma and shame that comes with being homeless. 
Um, you know, people don't like having to reach out and ask for help. So, you know, we hear a lot of that, you know, quote, hidden homelessness, um, which, you know, individuals, you know, you don't see it, so you don't acknowledge it. Um, you know, I think Cornerstone Landing, we normally serve about 85 youth um, per year, supporting them, you know, kind of through their struggles. You know, I think, you know, I think Ruth home, rural homelessness has really, you know, kind of shifted in its perspective. A lot of people think it's just couch surfing and then, you know, people don't think, oh, they're couch surfing, they're housed, it's okay. But, you know, we're seeing more and more within Lanark County tent encampments, you know, shelters out in the bush, out on the trails. Um, and it really is a bigger problem, not to mention the fact that, um, you know, couch surfing isn't a stable environment. Like, how are you supposed to maintain any sort of, you know, successful function while you're couch surfing and you don't know where you're staying night to night? Like, you're just in survival mode. You're not able to actually focus on living. You're not able to focus on your education or employment or your mental health. Like it's just, where am I going to sleep tonight? How am I going to get there? You know, am I going to be outside or am I going to be inside? Um, so I think it's just that, you know, we really have to shift kind of our lens at what we look at when we think about rural homelessness and just acknowledge that it is something that happens and we just may not see it. And I think that's the bigger picture, right? Why don't we see it? And it's because our community members are, you know, ashamed. They're embarrassed to admit that they need help. Um, they're embarrassed to admit that they can't or afford a home where they can't stay at a home where they're coming from an abusive situation. Um, you have to realize like everybody knows everybody, people talk. Um, that's really hard when you're in high school or elementary school. Um, that's really hard for parents, right? um to acknowledge that within their social circles so it's just it's just a really tough situation in a small environment where everybody knows everybody mm -hmm. you know even when it comes down to supporting individuals like it's a small town your Ontario works worker like may know a family member right like you the food the lady who works at the food bank may know your cousin right like there really isn't um space to hide in that kind of sense when asking mm -hmm. for supports and you know confidentiality is a huge thing um that obviously when you're 16 17 18 you know you, you probably don't believe in confidentiality or you don't believe that it's going to work or you don't have trust or faith in that um right so those just add to the multiple barriers that youth are facing mm -hmm. and and when you said, talked about, you know, shame, that's such, um, that's such a powerful emotional response, right? And, and rightly so, it, it makes sense that people feel shame around those things, given what society is telling them, or, you know, the imposition of other values, just the misunderstanding, and that, um, that must be a really tough part, regardless of the, the, uh, there's so many other barriers, but that, when that's, right up front and center for you and you're kind of in survival mode how tough right and so when you're faced with you know um a response that isn't compassionate or is judgmental or is just negative that must just compound it right yeah and I think it just 
doesn't set them up to have that foundation to kind of, you know, support them through their struggles. You know, like I have plenty of youth who refuse to go to the food bank because they don't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like that's mm-hmm. a massive barrier. Um, which I do have to say, I'm COVID has really kind of um supported that because now they're the food banks are doing a lot of delivery, um, which is like making it really super accessible that I love. But you know, that's something people don't think. They're like, well, you know, if they're hungry, why don't they go to the food bank? And it's like, well, they don't want to be seen at the food bank. They don't have to stand in that line. It, you know, it's not always the most welcoming environment. Um, you know, I've never, the people who work at the food bank are lovely. Um, I've been to all of them across Lanark County and they're always lovely and um, really get, great to work with. But at the same time, like standing in a line can be stigmatizing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned COVID, of course, it's front and center. We were talking about it before we started recording. Um, I'm sure it's complicated all of this. And as I'm thinking about some good stuff, as you say, about the food bank has maybe made it more accessible for some people, but I'm thinking about just the move to more rural spaces from the cities as a result of COVID people working remotely, which has in turn driven the price of housing, right? And I'm sure it's fallen, trickled down into renting and just access to even places to rent. Tell me about that. That Has that complicated things for the folks you're working with? Yeah, I, I mean, 100%, you know, we were seeing a rise in housing prices before COVID. I think I saw somewhere that, you know, specifically in Smith Falls in the last like five years, housing prices have increased by 66%. Um, so it's just unmaintainable. Um, you know, individuals are only getting, you know, Ontario Works or ODSP or even if you're only working part-time. Um, I mean, let's be honest, I work full time, you know, I'm a professional and I still can afford the rent prices mm-hmm. in Smith Falls. Um, can you can you just quickly for those listening who might not know um, how much OW or DSP is, can you share? Yeah, so um, Ontario Works is 733. Now it's split into two components. So you only get a portion of that if you're housed. So if you're homeless, you're only getting about half of that. I think it's about 343. A month, um, a month per month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ODSP is, you know, close to like 1160. Um, and again, you're only getting a portion of that though, if you're actually housed. Um, per, and again, those are per month. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, you're not going to find anything for... No, because you're looking at average rental prices in, in Carlton Place, Miss Falls, over $1,000 does that leave you with right well and it's over a thousand dollars plus heat plus hydro yeah plus groceries Um, plus you know you can't everyone kind of needs a phone these days like especially these youth right to connect with their workers and their supports like it's it's so sad it's so I don't know yeah it's just making it really inaccessible for individuals and you know people are like well get a job and it's like well that doesn't help like if you're only making 14 15 dollars an hour and you have to go to school i think that's a thing a lot of people don't know like if you're on ontario works um you have like a agreement you have to sign right or else you don't get your ontario works money so you know it's normally pretty reasonable what it is but it's like you have to attend if you're in school like if you're under 18 you have to be attending school full time um 
right? So how can you ensure that you're attending school full-time and making money, not to mention then you're gonna lose a portion of your Ontario Works money, um, right? And like, it's confusing. Like even mm -hmm. here as I'm talking about it, like it's confusing to explain it let alone to be 17 years old going through all you know the developmental changes that you're going through at 17 18 years old um you know i certainly wasn't at 17 18 expected to be able to pay a hydro bill and you know sort out my finances um on my own i had tons of support to do that um, mm -hmm. but yeah we're expecting that of these youth mm -hmm. and it's just it's not fair yeah, let's, so that typical, not typical response, but it's often a response like, well, why, do, why don't they just get a job, right? Like that's sometimes a response from people in the community. And I think it's important to highlight that a lot of young people, certainly those who have had to be resourceful and resilient and be on their own at a young age, have a lot on their plate. Um, and often a lot of them do attend school and do have a part-time to full-time job even, and it's still unaffordable for them to live independently and be able to, you know, save for college or save for whatever they need to do. I think that it's important to highlight that, like housing prices in our communities are so un inaccessible, unaffordable to people who are working right yeah and i think that also comes down to a huge point of the rural community like we don't have public transportation we don't have public transportation um so i have a lot of youth who are like you know i could get a job in ottawa or they've applied for jobs in ottawa but now they don't have transportation to get there so they have to move to ottawa um or you know i've got a lot of youth who you know, they need to get to Perth and back for their job, like from Smith Falls. Um, or, you know, I have youth who walk an hour and a half every day to get to their job um, because they don't have transportation. Um, and it's unfortunate because, you know, there is a lot of jobs that, you know, say pay more than the $14, $15 an hour, but you need a way to get to them, mm -hmm. um, which just isn't a possibility in Lanark County. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a huge barrier. It's a huge barrier. And I think from my experience working with, so I used to work at a, a youth shelter out in Vancouver as well. Um, and the, you know, very much similar issues that are going on, but different barriers, right? Like these kids that are youth that are renting rooms, they could be renting rooms, you know, rurally, and like you said, not just, they don't have a way to get back and forth. If they miss the bus, they're at home for the day. Um, no ability to come into town to get a job. It's, uh, it's different. There's different barriers for youth that are living in these more rural areas, for sure. And, and I was going to add that, I, and I think the people who are saying, why can't they just get a job, go to university, you know, whatever those judgmental kind of, perhaps some, um, uninformed opinions are, they, they don't take those things into account. They have no idea. They have no idea. They don't even realize that there's no transportation because that's never been a barrier for them or people in their family. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's a much more nuanced conversation than just get a job, mm -hmm. find a house. And as, as we're talking, I'm also thinking about the barrier of, you know, a 17, 18 to 24 year old name, the age, it doesn't matter. 
how many landlords want to want to rent to them, even if they could find a place they could afford? Tell us about that. What kind of barriers are there that people don't recognize? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of discrimination when it comes to renting. Um, and it comes, you know, and that's illegal, like it's not allowed. Um, but I mean, I can't spend all my time taking all these landlords to court saying you can't um, not rent to someone. Um, but I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? You look on any kind of Kijiji ad or you look at the rental markets and, you know, it says don't apply unless you have a full-time stable job and, you know, we'll apply and say, oh, well, we have steady income and supports. No, like I want to talk to your employer. Um, or, you know, like I've taken some youth to apartment viewings and it's like an open house and there's, you know, 20 people, this was before COVID and there's 20 people viewing the apartment. Um, you know, the 17 year old, you know, unfortunately isn't going to get it compared to these 20 other individuals. Um, and that's something people don't think about and people, don't consider which I think is really unfortunate because like that's my job is to make sure that this rental situation goes well um you know this youth has guaranteed supports right um this youth has someone coming in and checking on them to make sure things are going well this youth has someone supporting them to make sure their rents are getting paid and if the rent isn't getting paid you know, where can we find some extra funds to support that? Um, you know, this youth has someone supporting them to get to school or, you know, to help find a job. Um, you know, and a lot of individuals don't have that kind of support. Unfortunately, like realistically, everybody needs those kind of supports. Um, so it's unfortunate when, you know, I, I've called landlords and said, you know, I have a youth 20 years old, whatever, whatever, looking for an apartment, like, can we come view your apartment? Um, and they've said, well, why are you calling? Why aren't they calling? And I'll be like, oh, well, they're in school, like I'm supporting them. And like, I've had landlords flat out tell me I'm not helping someone who needs supports. And it's, you know, like, what do you say to that? What do you say to that? What, what do you say to that? So it's just, you know, there's nothing to say to that. Like people aren't considering, you know, these are their neighbors. These are their community members. These are um, individuals who are trying really, really hard. Um, people just don't consider that, right? But I think that's also been part of the bigger issue lately. Like housing has been such a hot topic. You know, I think that idea of housing as a commodity, as opposed to a human right, has been a huge topic lately across Canada um, because that's something, you know, prices are rising everywhere. And that's something we're seeing, you know, right across the country um, is that idea of, you know, housing is a human right. You have a right to housing. Um, it's not, you know, just a luxury. Mm -hmm. I think that that statement will be resonating with some of our listeners thinking, never thought of that before because they've never had to think about that before right mm -hmm. um housing is a human right yeah um and I, I i can appreciate your response about you know what do you say to a landlord what what can you say right but i think 
the work that you're doing, the advocacy work is your response, right? Some of the national stuff. I'd love to hear more about that. I mean, we, there's lots more to dig into, but would that be a, would it be a good time to tell us more about this national alliance you're on? Cause I think that's how you're responding in some ways. Yeah. So I think for me, I mean, I grew up in Smith Falls. Um, like this is my hometown. This is my community. Um, you know, obviously I had the same kind of mentality as 17, 18 year olds. I did not like it and I didn't want to be here. Uh, and yet here I am. But I think to me, it was like a community issue. I really, you know, I was getting really offended and I was really taking it personally when I was having these conversations with landlords and that was the response to me. Um, and so you know, I decided to, I wanted to connect with more people. So I spoke with my um, supervisor and I said, you know, I got to figure out what other people are doing. How are other people overcoming this within rural areas? Um, so I was really lucky to be able to connect with the National Alliance to End Rural and Remote Homelessness. Um, and we created this community of practice um, for frontline workers who work, you know, across Canada in rural and remote areas. Um, supporting individuals who are homeless um, to really, you know, connect and brainstorm and, you know, look at best practices and, you know, look at navigating that, you know, the struggles um, and really just creating a space for us frontline workers to have a safe space to have dialogue about it and to discuss, you know, how we take it personally. And um, there's something, you know, comforting in knowing um, that everybody's struggling through this, but that you're all powering together to kind of fix it and brainstorm around, you know, how can we make this work or what can we do um, to, you know, make it better? How can we improve, you know, relationships with landlords and, um, you know, kind of take those next steps. Very cool. That sounds really awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and to also know that you're not in it alone, right? And other people are, other frontline providers are struggling with the same issues. And so using your collective voices or collective creativity and ideas to, or even just supporting one another. Yeah. It's like so lovely to hear what other individuals are doing. And um, it's really just a really great place to learn and do some knowledge sharing. There's some amazing individuals out there doing some incredible work and some incredible advocacy. Um, and it's so great to be able to learn from them and see like, oh, that's what they're doing in their community. Like maybe that's what we should do in our community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and really kind of get that awareness piece and that education piece out and make people care mm -hmm. um, and make people appreciate that this is their community. This is their neighbors. This is you know, this could potentially be one of their loved ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love creative responses to, to adversity and oppression. And can you share some of those, you know, what, what are, what are some innovative ideas, some things that inspire you some responses to youth homelessness that you think are, are the way forward? I am, you know, I love it's tough, right? Because I love having youth voices involved. And, you know, I work with 16 to 24 year olds and they are resilient and strong and opinionated and they have so many great ideas and they're so talented in different things. And I love being able to, you know, bring their voice forward, but it's tough 
in rural communities, right? Like social media is not nice. Um, mm -hmm. It's not a nice world out there all the time to these individuals, especially when they're already struggling. They don't, you know, necessarily want to put their struggles on display. Um, so looking at ways in which they can, you know, add to it, right? Like writing newspaper letters um, or, you know, anonymous quotes and that kind of thing. And, you know, really having, um, bringing them together, right? I think it's important to bring individuals together, you know, just like we brought the frontline workers together, it's really important to bring the youth together mm -hmm. um, and let them, you know, kind of share their experiences and know that they're not going through it alone. Um, I think it's great when we can connect youth with landlords um, and build on that. I've seen a lot of really great kind of relationships, you know, build from that and with property managers and you know, now where youth are, you know, the superintendent or, you know, the youth are doing some lawn maintenance or the youth are, you know, working with a construction company now um, and just kind of how that really builds and connects and um, how, you know, there's a lot of really supportive people out there and it's being able to connect them to the youth, right, in a safe, way in a confidential way you know maintaining everybody's comfort levels oh it's nice to hear um you know that there are because certainly when we're, we're talking i'm sure you, you're faced with landlords who kind of slam the door more than ones that open the door but i was thinking as we've been having this conversation yeah i bet you i bet there's some really amazing people who 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 I don't want to say take chances because that kind of puts it on the youth, but who, who are more open to possibilities and, and see a person rather than someone who's maybe not working. Who's this, who's that, who's that, you know, all these late, they see the labels. They don't actually see the person. As you said before, the landlord said, well, why would I want to rent to someone who's, who needs support? Well, why wouldn't you, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a really big misconception on, you know, individuals who are on OW or on ODSP. Um, you know, I think it, it, I guess it just kind of blows my mind because, you know, when I see these youth, like I look at them with compassion because I know that majority, if not all of them have experienced some sort of trauma in their life, you know, physical, sexual, emotional, interpersonal violence and assault. Um, you know, they've lived in situations of domestic violence or neglect, right? And it's, you know, it's that um, exposure to the violence, which has led them to become homeless, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's what a lot of people forget or don't acknowledge um, is all those like, traumatic experiences that this person has um, experienced and now is still, you know, out there trying to improve. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, people just don't see that for some reason. And that's a huge piece too, right? Like we talked a little bit about the more maybe visible or not visible, but barriers such as transportation, lack of affordable housing, right? But also the barriers that these youth are experiencing, like more often than not, what's led them to the situation that they're in now is something that's happened to them. Like you said, something traumatic that's happened to them. Often they're struggling with their mental health, 
in big ways, in big ways that impact their ability to go out and get a job right away or their ability to get back in school right away, the ability to trust and to build relationships, right? Those things are all hugely impacted by these events that these young people have experienced. So those barriers, I think, are really important to highlight. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's been studies done and it's like 65% of youth who are homeless have experienced some sort of um, childhood trauma. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, like over half have experienced like physical abuse, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like 25% or more have experienced sexual abuse at home. Um, You know, these aren't kids that are just walking away from home, like, these are kids who are looking for a safe space because mm-hmm. home isn't safe. Yeah. Um, which people don't get. And, you know, it's it's not funny, but I have had phone calls from youth who I guess more so fit the stereotype of youth homelessness um, who call me up and they're, you know, mom won't let me smoke dope or whatever it may be. Um, so I'm not allowed at home anymore. Um, you know, I need you to find me a house. And, you know, once you explain the reality to them of what that's going to look like and, okay, well, we need to get on Ontario Works. And they're like, well, I don't want to go on welfare. And it's like, okay, well, how are you going to pay for that apartment? Oh, well, aren't you just going to pay for it? And I'm like, no, that's not how it works. And then they go, okay, well, like if I get on Ontario Works, how much money am I going to get? And I'll be like, well, 733. And then it's like, well, I'm never going to find an apartment. And I'm like, nope. And they're like, well, what am I going to do? And it's like, well, do you have friends who you can couch surf with? And, you know, we kind of start looking at the natural supports that they may have. And then they go, well, no, like, I just want my own apartment. And it's like, okay, well, you know, that's not what we can do. We can call victim services and maybe put you up in a hotel for a night or two. Um, Or there's the youth shelter in Ottawa. And then they go, no, never mind. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, going to go home. I'll, right? I'll deal with my mom. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so those aren't the kids. Like when Cornerstone mm-hmm. Landing says they're working with like 85 youth a year, like these are the kids who are unsafe at home. These mm-hmm. are the kids who don't have a safe home. You know, there's this total myth that, you know, and stereotype around youth homelessness that's so off that it's, you know, it's just so off in what the reality of it is. You know, I had an experience last week or two weeks ago when the public health notice came out about all the overdoses. I went around to all of my youth and was like, hey, do you have an naloxone kit? Like, let's get you an naloxone kit. And so many youth were like so mad at me and offended. And they were like, Ellie, like, we don't do that. Like, we don't. And, and it, it was being serious, right? Like, I think we have this myth that, you know, people who are homeless are um, struggling with substance abuse or whatnot. And, you know, the reality of it is that they're not. They're, you know, majority of my youth are not struggling with a substance use issue. Um, you know, they, they were very offended when I asked them if they had an naloxone kit. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, maybe just for your friends. And they're like, Ellie, like our friends wouldn't do that. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, I have one in my car, like just in case, um, you know, so the stereotype really mm-hmm. needs to change as to what it means to be homeless as a youth and what it means to be homeless as an adult, like with that being said, um, it's just, 
you know, the violence that these individuals have to experience that are only like increased once they become homelessness is, you know, I just, I don't know where people's mm -hmm. compassion mm -hmm. is. Yes. I mean, and even the experience of being homeless is a huge trauma, right? Yeah. So not only have they gone through um, likely big experiences at home, the actual experience of becoming homeless is a huge traumatic event for somebody. Yeah. Like just not having a safe space to rest yeah. your head at night is terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're just so vulnerable and so at risk for exploitation, you know, it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think when we're looking at traumatic experiences, like those have significant impacts on your health. Like you can, that can impair your like cognitive development and your decision-making and your ability to form like healthy attachments. And then you're put into this really, you know, turmoil, exploitive environment which just heightens everything yeah and when it's chronic too right like we see with a lot of these youth they don't um like we don't have I don't think we've mentioned yet there is no designated youth shelter in Lanark County so there is no place specific place for these youth to go there is um, a couple options and of course there's interval house which is wonderful for children um, and mothers or women um, who are fleeing situations, but um, there's no designated place for youth, right? So when they are initially experiencing homelessness, often they're, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ellie, but they're often jumping, right? Like they're at one friend's couch for a couple of weeks, and then they're at another friend's couch, and then maybe they're in a hotel for a bit, and then maybe they're in another spot. Like there's no, it's chronic for them, and there's no um, stability, um, which in turn adds to that, you know, where am I going to be next week? Where am I going to be next month? Where am I going to be tonight? Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's, I think it's even worse than that in the sense I don't, from my experience, the youth are not jumping from friends to friends couch. Like they're jumping from stranger to stranger's couch, right? right? Like they're jumping from someone they met kind of on the street because at the end of the day, A, they don't want to tell their friends. Um, but I mean, also when you're homeless, like, and you don't have a cell phone, like, it's very hard to maintain friendships in this day and age. Um, you know, schools are out right now. Um, you know, that was a big place where we were able to connect with youth. And now we're not able to, we're missing a lot of youth now. Um, so, you know, not, all right, it's not like these youth are jumping from one friend's couch where they're getting you know spaghetti dinner every night and it's lovely and then movie night and then they're going to another friend's couch where it's all lovely Debbie and we're so happy to have you here no they're like going from couch to couch where they're not wanted it's like they're trying to be out you know from 8 a.m to 9 p.m so they don't have to be in the house and around these people and then they literally just go there to sleep mm -hmm. um because it's not a comfortable place for them. It's probably not even a safe place for them, but it's their only option, um, which I think is a big thing that people don't appreciate. Mm -hmm. And when you mentioned the schools being closed, like the impact that that is having on these youth, the youth that are their school age, I know you work with a, couple, a lot of youth who are have graduated, but you know, when I think about the TR Leger campuses in our community, like they provide 
a place, a safe place for these young people to go during the day. They provide support. They provide peers. They often provide food, um, a clean bathroom to use, right? And now at this point, we're at the end of April in 2021, and the schools have now shut down again. The impact that that must be having on the school age youth that are experiencing this right now must be huge. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, for a lot of youth, that was like a, just a place inside that they could go. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got youth who have talked about like they haven't showered for a month because they're not able to anywhere. Like there's nowhere for them to shower. Um, you know, I have youth who, again, would like, haven't eaten in a long time because they're used to getting you know that granola bar and apple from school and now they can't um and it's just you know it's such a big component um I think this really just highlights how um how important the school system is for youth um and how much training needs to go into working within the school system um to really support these individuals because that's you know, a lot of times that's their only safe space. Mm -hmm. um, and having the schools, having those knowledge to, you know, support those individuals and to make those referrals for them. Um, you know, myself and Chris, who also works at Cornerstone Landing, like he's always in the schools before, always in checking in. And then that also just provides a face. So people are like, oh, who's that person you're talking to? oh, that person helps me, you know, with my housing. And then, you know, you make referrals that way as well. Um, and now that's just become like totally absent. Yeah, the, the invisible pieces, the, you know, the fallout of this pandemic, they're deep, right? And, and we don't mm -hmm. think about these things unless, yeah, how many of us have gone without a shower, right? Just the perspective and, and what that does does for a person and yeah re reimagines you know many of us have spent the year perhaps complaining about schools if we're parents and really there's a whole other side to what schools provide whether they're an adult and alternative site or not lots of high schools do really cool things as well yeah to support young people ah um heavy stuff and as we're talking I, I'm sure there are situate you've you know supported lots of young people can you tell us a story of of change as the result of somebody securing housing? What, what does that mean for a young person? What, what, what have you noticed? What have you seen happen as the result of somebody finding a secure place to live? I mean, it means everything. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, when you, I think there's so many of us out there who, you know, have, who haven't felt safe in their home or in their place. Like, I do think that's, you know, unfortunately probably a more common experience than we'd like to admit. Um, but for a youth who's, you know, been scared and, and I think this is something we don't, we haven't really mentioned, but like these youth aren't like homeless for like two nights, three nights. Like these are like months and, you know, they're sleeping in November in a tent um, or like years, right? Mm -hmm. um, this isn't, like a little couple days. Um, and I think when a youth is able to like have a key 
and lock a door to their space, like that's everything, right? Mm -hmm. I had a youth, you know, a couple weeks ago who had not only did he get a bed, but like a room that was just his, like for the first time in 10 years. Like that's everything to have a room that is yours that you can lock the door and feel safe in is everything. And, you know, from there, what you can do from that position is so much, Mm -hmm. right? From that position you know, I think going back to the shower, like, how are you supposed to find a job if you can't shower? Mm-hmm. Right. How are you supposed to find a job if you have like a one t-shirt and one pair of pants and you've been sleeping behind a dumpster? And that happens in Lanark County that people don't realize that happens. Like there are people sleeping behind dumpsters and there are people sleeping, you know, out in the bush, just off the path. Like, how are they supposed to find anything? How are you supposed to do, how are you supposed to go, you know, to the grocery store, to the convenience store when you're insecure about the way you look and the way you smell and how you're presenting? Like, you know, so to get a place where you can shower and feel safe. And I think, you know, we haven't, you know, not to get like crazy into the biology of it, but to let your nervous system relax is everything. Um, To be able to put food in a fridge that you can eat, right? Like that's another thing. Like we can take youth to the food bank, but if they don't have anywhere to put it, like what are they going to do? Carry around five bags of groceries with them? Like no. Or anywhere to cook, right? Because it's all- Yeah, or anywhere to cook. Yeah. Or if you have to put it in a fridge, like, you know, so to have a space where you can, you know, just be, and, you know, even if you don't have a phone, it's like, hey, Ellie, like, stop in Friday, I'll be here, like, knock on the door, like, that's everything for them. Like, to just know that they can meet their worker in one place, like that kind of stability is everything. And from there they can, you know, as silly as it sounds, but they can shower and they can go apply for a job then, right? Or they can, you know, finish their education or they can, you know, um, the mental health piece of it is wild. I think so many people pressure youth, okay, you've got a house, now let's go, you know, graduate high school or go get a job. And it's like, they just went through the most traumatizing (laughs) thing ever. Like now let's work on that mental health piece. Like to be able to sleep through the night and not, you know, be sleeping with one eye open and not be stressing about where you're going to go tomorrow, but to actually just sleep, to go to bed and know, Hey, I can go to bed here tomorrow night too. Like that's a game changer for people. Mm-hmm. I hope people listening who perhaps entered this conversation 
you know, with the idea that just get a place, get a job, et cetera, et cetera, are, are feeling lots of stuff right now. Cause it's, it's so much more than that, isn't it? Yeah. And to, you know, to have a room. Wow. That's, that's a powerful statement. You know, many of us take a lot of things for granted and um, just the safety and security that we have in having a space to be able to close both our eyes at night. Right. As you say, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's something. Mm-hmm. And it must be a powerful thing to witness when you're supporting a young person who gets to that stage, you know, when you're not, when you've, you know, you've, um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work getting to that stage and sometimes pretty impossible, but it must feel really good to bear witness to that. Yeah, it definitely does not happen as much as we would like it to happen, but when it does, like, it's life-changing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ellie, what does wellness mean to you? Wellness to me, I mean, you know, I think working in this field, wellness, the meaning of wellness to me has changed, Um, you know, because it's not just having a house, um, it's, you know, having um, your health and, you know, having, you know, social supports and, you know, being able to maintain social recreation and employment and all those things. I think, you know, wellness to me is like a, it's harmony, right? It's, it's living in harmony. So there's, you know, there's good, there's bad, there's high, there's low, there's loud, there's quiet, but it, it works. It, it works well together. I love that word harmony. What a, what a inspiring conversation. I don't know, is inspiring the right word? I think it is. I think, um, what an enlightening conversation as well. I think despite, you know, having worked with youth myself and in, in a similar capacity to you, but it's been a little while and I, I support youth, but I, I still feel like there's stuff I need to learn. And some of that, you know, our conversation today was really helpful in, in my own learning. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I think it's, you know, I think that's the great thing about people is they're, everyone's different and everyone's changing. So it's constantly learning. You can never know everything, right? People are always changing. So you're always learning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ellie, if somebody listening wanted to um, find out more about Cornerstone Landing, where can they go for information or to get in touch with you guys? Yeah, so um, we have a website, Cornerstone Landing Youth Services. Um, we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Um, if you're looking for housing supports, you can reach out to me. Um, my number is 613 430 4441. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Thanks so much. I, I can't wait to share this episode with people because I think it's one that um, people, a conversation people need to have right now. Bend the Podcast is a production of Bend Wellness. For more information, check out our website, bendwellness.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.